Why do we believe the things that we believe? Well, we believe them, and we all believe something. We all have faith in something. It may not necessarily be in the Lord Jesus. It may be in ourselves. It may be in mankind as a whole. It may be somewhere else. Uh, But we have faith in something. Confidence in something. But one of the reasons that we, we have the faith that we have in Jesus Christ is this, is we know that God is a faithful God. And how do we know that God is a faithful God? We know he's a faithful God because he has promised over and over again this, that, and the other, and his time has come unfolded. He's fulfilled many of those things that he's promised in the past so many, many years ago. And we just want to remember this morning that what we're celebrating at Christmas is not something that just came, came uh, you, you know, across at the time of the birth of Jesus. It was something that people knew about for hundreds of years, thousands of years beforehand. The long-awaited Messiah came. And one of the things that encourages you and I to believe the Bible and, and to believe in the tenets of Christianity is this, is because God has shown himself to be faithful all through time. And one of the things that he promised was this, is that a child would be born. And he would become a great ruler, as we've studied in the book of Micah just these last couple of weeks. We're going to be studying the same kind of thing this morning as we go to Isaiah chapter 7. When you think about the Old Testament and you think about Jesus, very often these are the passages that you go to because he speaks so clearly to his coming. I want to put this thing in context this morning because I would imagine that many of you don't really have any idea the context in which those uh, those words were first given that... uh, that, uh, uh, that a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Immediately our thoughts jump to Jesus, because we know, we know ultimately that Jesus is the fulfillment of this particular prophecy. And we know it for a lot of reasons, and one of those is because in Matthew chapter 1, he says specifically that this prophecy is fulfilled in Jesus. But just to give you a little idea of the context of what was actually going on in here, there's a prophecy God gave through Isaiah around 730 B.C. So 730 years before Jesus, these words came. And they came into a specific era in history. It was during that time, that lengthy period, where Israel was divided where there were ten tribes to the north which continued to go by the name of Israel who had turned to pagan idol worship over and over again. The kingdom had gone on for a number of hundreds of years and not one single good king reigned in Israel in those days. But then you had the kingdom of Judah to the south, the house of David. All in the line of David, kings had reigned, and some of them were good kings, and some of them were very wicked kings. Some of them were as wicked as the kings of the north. But this particular time in history, you may not realize it, but there were times when Israel and Judah fought against each other, brothers of Israel fighting against each other.
this particular time in history, Israel, the northern kingdom, had been subjugated by the Assyrians, and, and they had rebelled against the Assyrians, and the king, Pekah there, or Pekah, had allied himself with the Aramaeans. And the Aramaeans, along with Israel, had determined they were going to invade and conquer Judah. And the king of Judah at that time's name was Ahaz, or Ahaz. And so God sent to Ahaz his messenger, Isaiah the prophet. And this is what he said, beginning with verse 10 in chapter 7 of the prophet Isaiah. Then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Make it deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. And Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, Listen now, O house of David, is it too little a thing for you to try the patience of men that you will try the patience of my God as well? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. And we know from Matthew that Emmanuel literally means God with us. I want to read just a couple more verses. He will eat curds and honey at the time. He knows enough to refuse evil and choose good. For before the boy will know enough to refuse evil and choose good, the land whose two kings you dread will be forsaken. Now, you may not realize what the ramifications are of which I just read, and that is this, is there's a possibility there was more than one virgin birth in history. Because Isaiah here is talking specifically about a child that would be born in the day of Ahaz or Ahaz. Now, you may have never even considered this. And this is the whole basis. This is the whole the reason that this promise was given in the first place. Now, you and I know this. We know that even if that is true, I just, I'm just trying to challenge you and stretch you a little bit this morning. I bet most of you have never even thought about this possibility. Because one of the two things is true, either God lied to Ahaz or there was another virgin birth during that time when there was a a, a virgin woman who became pregnant with a child. I want you to hear this very clearly. Even in light of that, the birth of Jesus is extremely unbelievably, especially beyond comparison because we're not talking about a dual incarnation. We're talking about a God who gave a sign, and God does that in history. He's given signs over and over again to his people. Now, some of you may think I'm a heretic at this point, (laughs) but what I'm doing here is I'm trying to be faithful to the Word of God. This is what the Word of God says, and so we need to be open to this kind of thing, but at the same time, we understand this, that ultimately Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophecy. How do we know that? We know that because the Apostle Matthew enlightens us to that very fact. In his first chapter, he says, in essence, Jesus is the fulfillment of this particular prophecy. 
And again, please don't hear me saying that there's been more than one incarnation. Let me explain to you what incarnation is. This is the time when the eternal Son of God, we need to understand that Jesus is a very unique person. He has two natures. One of those is divine and the other is human. We may wonder sometimes why the God-man came to be. And I want to challenge you with the idea this, this morning that man was in a big trouble and, and this was the only possible solution to his trouble. There was no other there is nothing else would, that would have accomplished what this did. Nothing. Why the God-man? Well, it's perfectly simple, and that is this, is that he is the one who bridges the gap between holy God and sinful man. Doesn't it make absolute logical sense that the one, the only person that could possibly do that would be someone who had that connection to God, that at the same time had that connection to humanity? What I'm telling you guys is this. It's not that God just came up with a one possible way of doing this. What I'm telling you is he did what he did because this was absolutely the only way it would be made possible. For you and I to be reconciled to our God. It's the most amazing thing. I don't know how much you've thought about the incarnation. I don't know how much you've thought about what was necessary for God to go through to make it possible for you. Well, not have salvation. I mean, can you think about this? God the Father sent God the Son into the world. He sent him. Let me tell you, I have two natural sons. I have a son-in-law who's a son to me, and I have another one coming up. And you can't have any of them. Now, I want you to understand this. Can you imagine what it would have been like for God the Father to send God the Son into the world in, in knowing all that he was going to endure and all of that and doing it for you and me? Now, if that doesn't tell us how great the love of God is for sinners such as we are, I don't know what possibly could. Nonetheless, he did it. It's a most amazing thing. There's a sense in which it's almost unbelievable. That a virgin would be with child. You may not realize it, but back in the beginning of the, the 20th century, the theological liberalism began to creep into the church. And, and, and at that point, everything supernatural was thrown out. And so people, church people, started believing or not, but no longer believing in the virgin birth. Because it wasn't scientific.
And so many people wound up on a slippery slope where they begin to turn away from the God, taking the, the, the Bible as the word of God and throwing out the things that seem to be miraculous to them. Everything that was supernatural went to the wayside. And what do you wind up believing in after all of that? And that truth is absolutely nothing. Now, you may sit here this morning, you may say, well, I've never seen a miracle take place. But I would say to you this morning that you have. See it all the time. Matter of fact, you are a great miracle. In your, in your, just the, fact, the fact that you and I are here this morning, we're talking to each other, I'm talking, you're hearing me and all that, that is miraculous. That's unbelievable that you and I would even be. You've experienced things in your lifetime that were miraculous kinds of things. Now, let me give you a couple examples. Laura and I were off on a, an anniversary jaunt up into the mountains years and years ago. And we always go through Dillard, Georgia, very often go through Dillard, Georgia, and we go that way because we want to eat at the Dillard House restaurant. Now, who's eating at the Dillard House? I know some of you probably have at one time or another, right? But we go to the Dillard House restaurant where they're standing there in the, in the lobby and we're waiting for our table and these people come walking out of the dining room and lo and behold, they're some of our best friends in the world, Kelly and Victor LaCourse and their kids. We had no idea they were there. They didn't have any idea we were going to be there. What do you think the possibility is that we would bump into each other in Dillard, Georgia in the Dillard House restaurant, be there at the same point in time? Okay. Something even more remarkable. When I was in Uganda, when I was in Uganda in Africa, I met a woman who was living in Ocala, Florida at the time. We would say that those things like that are statistical impossibilities. Seriously. They're so close to impossible, we would conclude under normal circumstances that nothing like that would ever take place. That things like that happen all the time. You could probably share stories with me that are very similar, where you've been in some distant place and bumped into somebody that you knew or you know something along those lines. It happens all the time. Do you understand that it happens a lot more than statistically it ought to? Do you understand that things like that encourage us to, to believe that there is a God of providence who is working out absolutely every teeny tiny detail of everything that comes to pass according to his perfect will and purpose? What I'm telling you guys is nothing in your life happens by accident. God's purposes are there in the middle of it. You read in the, the word here, it says, behold. Now, let me tell you, any time you see behold in the Bible, it means you're supposed to take special notice. 
In other words, something very special or something phenomenal or unbelievable is about to be spoken. It's to get our attention. A virgin will be with child. Now we live in a we live in a modern day where things like this are very possible. We all know what artificial insemination is, right? Right? So today, I mean, this would not be that miraculous a thing. This kind of thing happens all the time today. Veterinarians do it with cows all the time. So it doesn't seem like to be that big of a deal to you and to I or to you and to me. Just think about what it would have meant 700, 2,700 years ago. A sign would be given that, that, that when it was given that, that, that people would know something, and that is when it happens that only God could do something like that. Now, we live in a day when, when people really, in a general sense of the word, believe that science has answered all of our questions or eventually will answer, answer all of our questions. I'm a scientist, guys, and I'm going to tell you that's not true and it never will be true. There are questions science cannot answer. There are some things that science is not intended to answer. And what I want to say to you this morning is this. Is we have such a powerful God... That he can will things, he can speak forth the words, and whatever he says happens. How did God create the heavens and the earth? Well, he spoke forth the words. And the heavens and the earth came into being out of absolutely nothing. What I'm telling you here this morning is this, is that Mary became pregnant with Jesus because God willed that it would happen. He spoke the words in essence, and it happened. That's all he needs. He doesn't need to apply scientific principles or anything like that. He just says it. He wills it. And it is. And we think we want to argue with him sometimes. (laughs) I love this name, Emmanuel. Which, as we said before, simply means God with us. Speaks right at the heart of the incarnation. The Son of God became man to stand in our place to live a life of perfect righteousness for us, to die on the cross, 
to pay the penalty for our sins, to be resurrected, to overcome the power of death, not for himself, but for you and me. Let me ask you something. What would you do if you were given the opportunity to be made into a bacterial cell or a viral particle? You jump at the opportunity? You, you, you think it would be just, just this, this great thing to go from where you are, the highest order of life, to the lowest order of life? That's a remarkable thing, right? But you need to understand that, 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 that there's nothing in comparison to what Jesus did when he, as we read in Philippians chapter 2. He was willing. In essence, in a sense, to step down out of Godhood to become a man. To become Humanity. Be Savior. Necessary. Necessary. I don't think for one minute that if God could have come up with some other formula or some way of doing it, that would not have required so much from his son and not required so much from himself and not required so much of the Holy Spirit. Do we think for one minute that he would have he would chosen the avenue that he did if there was any possibility of doing it any other way? I don't imagine so. Because like we said before, the Father sent his son, his only begotten son. The son came, knowing full well what was going to happen. See, God has many things, but one of those is he's perfect love. And the love that is shared between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is, is the greatest love that there is in existence. The second greatest love in existence is the love that God has for people like us. Because we're made in his image. And that image is very special to him. A couple of weeks ago, I challenged us with the idea, and that, uh, an idea, and the idea is this: is so often that when we think about Jesus and who He is and what He did and all that, we think about what He saved us from. At time, we decided this: it might be a better idea if we started thinking more and more about what He saved us for. You know what I mean by that? That he saved us to be sons and daughters of God himself. To be part of his royal family. 
which is big, really big. They wouldn't fit in our house. Where are you? Spiritually, seriously. I don't know. For some of you, even the people around you don't know. But you do. And my question for you this morning is, are you right with God? Are you? Do you want to be? Do you even believe there is a God? Well, you don't know me very well. Most of you, some of you know me pretty well, but none of you know me completely. Not even Lloyd and Lucy and Deborah and Walter. Okay. But there was a time when I was an unbeliever, and there was 30, 40 years ago, if you told me I would be doing what I do today, I would have told you that you are crazy as you could possibly be. That will never, ever, ever happen. One of the reasons I believe so strongly in the things that I do is because God did it. There's no other possibility. No other explanation. Do you know that God? There's only one way. His son Jesus. He's the key to all of it. And let me just tell you this. Being a Christian is not always an easy thing. Sometimes it's an extremely difficult thing. It's a hard thing. Being a Christian is hard work. It really is. Living your life for God, living your life for Christ is hard, especially when there's still a vestige of sin in every one of us. But, but I'll just tell you this. That the first time that I celebrated Christmas as a Christian was the first time I even understood the meaning of Christmas. And I look forward to it every single year. And one of the reasons is we always go back through the Christmas story and it just reminds you over and over how important you are how important you are to God that he's willing to do what he did to have you. It's unbelievable. But it's true. Nonetheless.